Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far. The hustle and grind continues as we're now into season two of 52 Weeks of Hustle. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple, and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career growth, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Many times in this business, you have to make tough decisions to leave your comfort zone and friends and family. Our next guest has left that zone several times, but has also spent the majority of his career in his hometown with two different franchises as he continues to lead at a high level. I'm very excited for our next guest, Joe Shavi, Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the Detroit Tigers. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Travis. Excited to be here with you. Now, excited for our conversation today, and let's start off where we introed. You were born and raised in Detroit, and you now had the opportunity to lead with both the Detroit Pistons and now your current role with the Detroit Tigers. So how exciting has that been for you and your career? It's been amazing. Um, you know, this, this industry has taken me on a, a great journey, and, um, you know, just to be back home and, and franchises I followed growing up, uh, every day when I drive in a little bit, I get a smile on my face. I remember coming to Comerica Park, as a fan in high school, driving from uh, from Catholic Central here in, in Detroit, um, and now doing it again, <clears throat> you know, I'm dating myself here, but uh, 18 years later, um, and, and being in the seat I'm in, man, it, it's a thrill every day. Well, Joe, we're certainly going to dive into all your spots, uh, you know, and stop, but prior to that, what's your advice for listeners on willing to take a risk and maybe move out of the state to help your career path? Yeah, I think it was the best thing I've done in my career, Travis, to be honest. I think I uh, started in college when I left uh, Michigan to go to Arizona State. Um, you know, I think just growing up, I always had an extremely supportive family. And um, one of my biggest fears was being comfortable. I think, you know, when you have an opportunity to to grow, you know, take it. Any Anytime you possibly can, you've got to take it. And um, I looked at an opportunity in college where I had a chance to be comfortable and move out to Arizona and, and put myself out of my comfort zone, meet new people uh, to kind of develop a life for, for my own. Um, and similarly, when I, when I graduated, took a job in Houston, never been to Houston before, never been to Texas, uh, heard everything's bigger out there. And, and I, I wanted to be a cowboy growing up. So I figured <laughs> that might, that might, happen. but uh, you know, I think all those things, if you can keep yourself on the edge of your comfort zone and just keep pushing further, it's how you grow as a person. And so, uh, you know, I think those are fundamental moves in my career that helped me get to where I'm at today. And I think it's key to you, to your point, going out of your comfort zone, be willing to take those risks, which is what you have to do in an everyday career path as well. And so was it always a dream? You, you kind of talked about your hometown team. Was it just a dream for you to ultimately work for, for two of your hometown favorite teams? You know, Honestly, I never thought about it. I mean, I think when I started with the Astros, I was so excited to, that a major league baseball team offered me an opportunity to, to be an unpaid intern that, 
you know, they became my favorite team. Um, the minute I, I signed that intern agreement with the Astros, it was, it was all Astros all the time. I had an old English D on the back of my Explorer. And, uh, you know, that went away and was replaced at the time. And, and I was all in, you know, and I think um, everywhere I've been along the way, been all in. Now, fortunately, you know, when I got a call from the Pistons to take a leadership role, like there's, there's definitely a little bit of tug on the heartstrings, right? You had flashbacks to the 04 championship team. Um, and it was, it was special. And, and, you know, when I went to Miami uh, and, and we had a chance to work together with the Marlins, again, it was all Marlins all the time, right? Like it, it was, uh, you know, you're hundred percent bought in and, and that's the organization that, that your heart's with. Um, but again, coming back here and being able to work uh, and, and kind of live in an environment where um, I'll rub shoulders with people that I watched when I was five years old and, and had a Jersey of at some point, and it's, you know, you carry on a conversation. Those are those moments you kind of have to stop and take a deep breath and be like, you know, this is, this is really cool. Um, it's, it's special. I love the all in mentality. That's exactly what everybody has to have. So great advice there. And Joe, you've certainly been in leadership now for over eight years, but leadership started year very early on in your life. I've had the privilege of meeting many of your friends and family, and you've always had a knack for leading people and training individuals. And many of the listeners probably know this. You're an avid fisherman, and that's probably putting it lightly. And I've heard, you know, through multiple people, including your mother, that you started teaching people to fish when you were five years old. So how would you compare fishing and leadership? Yeah, man. I mean, I think I, I started teaching people how to fish out of necessity. I got sick of fishing alone. So uh, I needed to get some friends to go down there with me and help me carry my, my equipment down the lake. Um, but, you know, I think for me, it was something I always enjoyed. Um, I always got more enjoyment out of seeing someone else have success or a lot of enjoyment about seeing someone else have success than my own. Um, you know, I think even now it, it's something that, that gives me a lot of joy, right? If, if I go out on the boat with some friends who don't, who don't get out in the water very often, um, teaching them something that I'm passionate about and, and coaching them to, to try to learn a new, uh, a new skill or a new trait. Um, and then watching them have success and kind of the, the excitement that comes along with that is fun for me. Um, I think leadership in this industry is the same way. Like it was awesome when I first started making sales. I remember my first sale, I think I went up to the sixth floor of Minute Maid Park and like did a King Kong, like pound on the uh-huh. chest for, for 10 tickets. Right. And, you know, that was, that was awesome. But as, as time progressed, when we start hiring new staff members and, and we start adding to our team and I was able to assist them with their sales, it was, it was one of those things where I was like, my, you know, I can be more impactful. I can have more of an impact on our business um, by helping 10 people than just worrying about myself and, and trying to hit my own revenue goal. And so that's really what drew me to leadership. I think, you know, there's a lot of parallels between, um, I, I draw a lot of parallels between leading and fishing or leading and things that I'm passionate about, whether it's football or, or athletics, uh, a lot of things are, are very similar. And, you know, when, when you have the opportunity to, to help someone else succeed, it, to me, it's always just been more gratifying than seeing my own success. Well, you certainly taught me how to fish uh, and, and got a passion for fishing. Actually, you know, some of the listeners probably know the story. The first time that uh, I ever fished with you up in Detroit, I, uh, I got hooked. So it was basically told like, Hey, you need to start fishing or I'm just going to throw a hook into you. But, uh, that was an entertaining experience. Just, just tried to set the tone, Travis. <laughs> well, the old cliche saying, Joe, is if you can't teach a person to fish, you feed them for a lifetime and, and you have taken that and certainly run with it. So why has always teaching been such a big part of your life? Yeah. I mean, I think going back to you know, the first time I thought about a profession, uh, what I wanted to do, I think I was in high school and, you know, I thought a teacher was, thought teaching was going to be my profession. I thought it was going to be my vocation. Um, you know, I, I think coaching, teaching, whether it was coaching a youth basketball team when I was at the Pistons or 
helping coach some, some youth football when I was, you know, out in Arizona. Um, it's always been something I've always enjoyed. Uh, and then when you get into this business and again, you can see the impact that you can have by coaching young sellers and developing people's careers. Like it's, uh, it's powerful stuff, man. Like that's what gets me fired up every day. Um, is the amount of impact you can have on a people level. And, and, you know, if you do those things the right way, the, the rest of the business kind of takes care of itself. Absolutely. And, and so your hobbies, you know, you kind of talked about with, with sports and obviously fishing, but you're going through school, you're a captain of sports teams and you continue to find ways to get the most out of people. And so once you ultimately got into the sports business, how did you know leadership was the right path for you? Um, you know, I think for me, man, a lot of people identified those traits in me before I saw them myself. I think, you know, when I first started, I was so fixated on hitting my own revenue goals and, and trying to take care of my own. And, you know, as, as we talked about a little bit earlier, I, I found some gratification in helping others achieve their goals and, and hit their benchmarks. Um, but there were a couple of meetings I had with, with coworkers where they kind of pulled me aside and said, Hey, like one day you're going to be leading this department. And I just kind of remember the smile on my face. I was like, really? You think so? Like, this is, you think that that could be an avenue? Um, you know, I've always tried to have some self-awareness about myself. And, and one of the things I take uh, a great deal of stock in are other people's perceptions of me, right? And so when I had other people tell me like, hey, you know, we think you could lead here, um, it almost made me feel like I had an obligation or I had to step up and, and, and make sure I, I took it seriously. I think some of the things that I did as an, you know, an account executive when I first started that were very, um, you know, selfish, just kind of focused on my own career, I realized that, uh, other people viewed me as a leader, whether I viewed myself as a leader or not. And I had to, I had to portray that in every, every step I took. And so um, that's when I really got serious about leadership, Travis, is another, when I realized other people started perceiving me as a leader. And I realized like, this is an obligation I have to my peers to, to the organization I work for to, to fill that, to fill that role. And Joe, you've always had a, a very competitive nature around you and, and certainly a bit of a risk taker. We've talked about, you know, you being able to get back into your, your hometown and work for two of your hometown teams, but coming out of high school, you moved all the way out West to attend Arizona state university where you played football, received your degree in business administration and management. What made you make that decision? You know, I think going back to comfort level, man, I think there were a lot of times where uh, I looked at two different decisions and it was, you know, stay home and, and go somewhere I know and, and go somewhere that I think I, I can have a, a better path to success or a smoother path to success. Um, or take a chance and go pursue something that I'm really excited about and, and pursue something that makes me a little bit uneasy, or maybe I'm not as confident in, but the end result is going to be much better. Right. And I, I always started to look at, that's when I really started to look at things of like, if, if things work out, if things play out the way that, that I intend them to, what's going to, what's going to give me the greater sense of accomplishment or what's going to give me the greater sense of joy. And that's when I looked at it and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do this. Like, I don't want to sit back and wish I did it. I'm going to go push it. Um, as added motivation, I think when you do those things, like the last thing I wanted to do was come back home with my tail between my legs, right. And, and say, you know, I didn't make it or I, I couldn't do it. And so that always served as fuel for me once I took that next step. And what I soon realized is, um, I hated contingency plans. You know, I, I, when I, when I decided to move out to Arizona, um, I realized I had a contingency plan of, Oh, if it didn't work out, I could always come back home. And about after the first semester, I'm like, you know what, I'm removing that contingency plan. If I don't make contingency plans, you force yourself to have success. And um, that's, trying, that's a mentality I've had my entire life. And, and it's something I try to apply both personally and professionally is, if, you know, if you, if you don't create a plan for you to settle, you're not going to settle. You're going you're gonna to strive for what you truly want to do. Keep pushing yourself and that internal motivation. And, 
you know, you, you end up going out to Tempe, you end up graduating cum laude there at Arizona state university. And you're, you mentioned earlier, you take your first internship and never been to Houston, join the Houston Astros. And as you think back at that experience, what was the key moment in that internship that really led you down that, Hey, the sports path is what I want to take. And more specifically, the sales path is what I want to be. Yeah. So, you know, I think when, when I got the first call from the Astros, um, I talked to a lady named Chanda Laudermilk and she couldn't have been more helpful. I didn't really know what I was getting into Travis. Um, my mom had kept bugging me about getting an internship between my junior and senior year. Um, all of her friends, kids were getting internships and I was, I was working at a sports camp uh, and it was great. I loved every minute of it, but um, she's like, you know, you really should look at this seriously. So in between uh, Monday night football, so in between class and going to B-dubs to watch Monday night football, I flipped on teamwork online, applied to a few internships and um ended up getting a call back from Chanda at the Astros. And she really walked me through the whole process. Hey, you know, we, we appreciate your resume and your cover letter. Uh, that's what landed me a phone call. And that's where it all started. Um, and from there, she said, you know, we're gonna have you interview with a few different departments. So I talked to community relations. Um, I talked to sales and, and I talked to marketing. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, all the, all the conversations went really well. When I met with the sales department, it was three individuals there and they were, they were extremely buttoned up. They're extremely polished, energetic, um, just had a, I just got a good energy from them. And I'm like, I can learn from these guys. Like, I don't know anything about sales at this point in my life. Um, but I know over the next 16 weeks, I can gain a lot from this experience. And so talk about being at the edge of my comfort zone. Like I felt way more comfortable going to a community relations department where I knew I was going to be, you know, providing value or doing good in the community every day to going into a role where it's like, if I didn't produce, I would, I felt like I was going to let myself down. And, and so I went out of my comfort zone, definitely had growing pains there and learned from great leaders. But that's when I realized I wanted to go to sales. I understood the impact that I could have on an organization. I understood I was going to learn from great people. Um, and I think just mentality wise, there were a lot of things that aligned uh, just from a, a positivity standpoint and energy standpoint. I wanted to be in that environment. And it certainly proved to be a great path for you. And, and I guess some advice for the listeners, you know, whether they're an intern right now or inside sales or just in, in general, in any position within the company, what do you feel like is great advice for the listeners as far as just dominating the day? Because ultimately you receive a full-time internship or a full-time job opportunity from the Astros. So what's your advice to those listeners, just dominating your day and dominating everything you're doing? Yeah, I think, First and foremost, you know, getting an internship and then and then receiving a job opportunity following that internship or receiving a career following that internship starts with your brand. Um, I know it's something a lot of people touch on these days and, and has been brought up on many occasions, but it's extremely important. Um, your brand is on display every day you walk in the office and every action you take. Um, and you've got to be proud of it, right? Your brand doesn't always have to be the what everyone else wants it to be but you have to be comfortable owning your brand and, and, and the actions that you do every day and you need to live true to your brand. Right. And so I think every day I came in with a positive attitude, first and foremost, I'm a big attitude person. I think, you know, when you come in every day with a smile on your face and people are happy to see you, that's a great start. Right. Um, secondly, I, I think just coming in with an attitude of I'm going to do whatever's asked of me. I think the first uh, two of the first four weeks with my, my uh, internship with the Astros, I spent in the mailroom and I was, you know, this is back before we had electronic invoices. I know I'm dating myself again, but, you know, I was literally stuffing five, six, seven thousand invoices, and uh, I don't think I found the the envelope sealer, so I licked a lot of envelopes. That's what I was gonna say. Um, Were you smart enough to get that that envelope sealer, or was it all licking old old school? 
that explains the fifth year at Arizona State, Travis. (laughs) You know, but I just remember, like, going down there the first day and some of the folks I was down there with, and, like, there's always mixed attitudes about doing something like that, right? Like, you're in college, you feel like you're ready for a career, and I just remember kind of having a conversation with myself of, you know, think about this in a positive way. Like this is where the organization can view me making the biggest impact and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it with a smile on my face. We're going to get it done quickly. Um, I wanted to understand what the objectives were to get those things mailed out. And I wanted to beat it. I wanted to get it done a half a day earlier or a day earlier or, or whatever the case may be. And so I think it's finding a lot of things that, um, you know, they may not be the most attractive thing to do, but if you can do it with a smile on your face and you can do it uh, in a timely manner and deliver for somebody, you're going to become reliable for that person. You're going to become a rock in that organization. You're going to be someone they want around. And I think that's where, you know, wasn't always the smartest person in the room. And, um, you know, a lot of people work hard, but I think if you can, if you can get a job done and, and people want to be around you, they want to work with you and, and they understand that, um, you know, you'll own your own objectives, you'll own their objectives. And I think that's a, a big win for you. And I think that's why you've had such a great career in leadership and so many people have looked up for you and you've been a you know, a mentor for so many is because not only do you have a smile on your face every day, but you're always willing to roll up your sleeves no matter what. Like, you know, even now, I'm sure there's times you've been in the mailroom stuffing envelopes. And I think that's a great advice for all the leaders out there. People who want to be in leadership, like be willing to roll up your sleeves. And you've done a, a tremendous job of that with your career. So, you know, Joe, going back to Houston, you know, you, you dominate your internship, you make a brand for yourself, you make a name for yourself, you receive a full-time offer, you start out in inside sales, quickly move up to group sales, ultimately became a senior group sales AE and team lead. So three and a half years in Houston, certainly, you know, that was prior to the team having success. So what helped separate yourself from a sales role from the rest of the competition? Yeah, I think, you know, I had some great leaders over my time in Houston, Travis, Um, you know, started out working for Bill Gorin, who, you know, as a leader, I took a lot of things from Bill. He's the first leader I had in the industry. And um, I think, you know, taking something away from him where he always had a calm disposition, no matter what the challenge was in front of us. And and I learned a lot of positivity and a lot of just like general leadership traits from from the way he handled adversity or, or the way he dealt with, you know, us going on a 15 game losing streak or whatever the case may be. Right. It was never an excuse. We, we had to perform. And so um, I credit a lot to Bill. Jason Howard was another leader that came into Houston. PJ Keen, uh, Dwayne Herring, a lot of guys taught me taught me things uh, throughout my time there. And I think as simple as it sounds like most leaders in this business want to give back. You just have to show you want to learn. Right. And I think, you know, I, I was everyone's while popping in offices, tugging on some sleeves, like, Hey, can I, you know, can I, can I get a little bit of a preview of this? Can you give me a heads up? Like what's going on here? I'd love to learn more. And I found that, you know, the more I invested in my career, the more of the leaders, the, the folks that I had to look up to in the office were willing to invest in me. So I feel very fortunate to have some great leaders in the business. Um, the second thing was just like, you know, finding motivations, right? So, you know, I, I looked at those around me and a lot of times I, I had to, um, just kind of reawaken myself to, to my goals because, you know, when the team is winning 55 games a year and it's September and as a group seller, you know, your sales cycle for the year is pretty much behind you. You've got three weeks of the season left or whatever, but like, you know, making 120 calls doesn't seem like it's going to get you real far at that point. You've either hit your goal or you haven't, but, you know, I think a lot of times I'd have to focus on like, what do I want personally or what do I want? How can I learn from today? and just set short sprints, right? So if it's, you know, I want to go pay for a fishing charter in the Gulf. Uh, I remember that literally was like a conversation I had with one day and it was like, 
well, if I can get maybe four more season tickets on the board or four more, four more folds on the board, maybe I'll get enough commission. I can go take a charter on the golf. And like, had nothing to do with my own success. It was just like, you know, something personally that motivated me that day. And it's finding that motivation every single day. Um, you know, goals are one thing that, you know, I think, uh, extremely important in this business and goals get used very loosely, right? People always talk about having short and long-term goals, measurable goals, but, um, having goals in front of you every day, I think is extremely important. Um, on my laptop, which I, you know, log into every morning on my kitchen table. Um, I've got an Excel document open with personal and professional goals that I look at every single day. And, uh, I'd be lying if I told you like the, the first thing that crosses my mind is how can I check something off this list today or how, when's my timeline when I can knock the next thing off. And, you know, those things fire me up. Like those things, when you're, when you feel like you're lacking motivation, when you look at some things you truly want, like if that doesn't get you excited, um, you know, I don't know what does. And it's one thing to have goals. It's the other thing is to make sure you have that motivation and drive to accomplish them. You know, it's one thing to, to write it down, but to actually do it. And so tremendous job. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Joe Shavi, Vice President of Ticket Sales and Service for the Detroit Tigers. And so, Joe, after making a name for yourself in the sales end, we've talked about why you wanted to get in leadership. You end up getting that opportunity in leadership the first time going back home to Detroit when the Detroit Pistons as you take on the inside sales manager role. So was it time for you to make it to back to Detroit or did the opportunity just make a ton of sense for you? The opportunity made a ton of sense, Travis. I mean, I think at that point, uh, if you ask any of my coworkers in, in Houston, I was, I was trying to fill my application out to be a full-time Texan. Like I was, <laughs> I was saying, y'all, I was going to the rodeo a couple times a week. Like I was bought into Houston. Um, but you know, just kind of, you know, kind of funny how things worked out. I had a leader of mine that, that ended up going to the Pistons, um, you know, for a short time and, and, had talked to me about the opportunity. I had a chance to go talk to Dennis Mannion, the team president. They didn't have an inside sales program at the time. And we had just built ours in Houston. I was a team lead. So I was recruiting and training a lot during the, the construction of the inside sales program. And, you know, to get a call from a hometown team that basically said, Hey, we don't have an inside sales program. Like tell us how you'd build it. And then when I walked them through that, they said, great, come here and build it. It was like, you know, this is a perfect storm. Like this is, um, you know, this was something that just doesn't come around every day. So I knew it was time to go. And, and you know, it was difficult because I loved working for Jason. I loved working for, for our leadership team there. I knew I was learning from great people. 
Um, but it was one of those challenges, again, put you out of your comfort zone. It's like, all right, like you learned all these things over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, you've learned from great people. Now it's time to go to go do something that you can put your own stamp on. And, and so um, I was extremely excited about that opportunity at that point and, uh, and proud of what we accomplished there. Well, you know, shortly after, you know, you end up moving into the director inside sales and then ultimately to the director of business development for the Pistons, you spend almost six years there. And so, you know, first spending majority of your career selling group tickets, how has that transitioned to overseeing season tickets and membership sales as well as groups? Um, you know, surprisingly, it was seamless. I get that question quite a bit. Um, a lot of, a lot of group sellers have always asked me, you know, should I look at switching over to, new business or should I look at going a premium route before I go to, to manage an inside sales team to help uh, with my new business knowledge. And to me, it was, it was a pretty easy transition because I tried to sell full menu. Um, I think if, if you're a seller, the more well-rounded you can make yourself, um, the easier career progression is going to be. And so, you know, the way I look at, at groups is I was selling new and then I was servicing groups that I was, I was, um, you know, I sold year in, year out. And so there was a sales and service component there already that I had as an AE for years. And then through my time as a team lead, I was big, you know, we were big on setting appointments and, and you know, going through our in-game appointment route, our non-game day appointment route. So all of those things were second nature to me from a new business standpoint. And so um, it was a pretty smooth transition going from a group seller to, to overseeing inside sales, just because I think, you know, I tried to do, uh, I tried to cover every base that there was on the ticket sales team in my current role. And I've always been a big believer. If you're just a generally good sales professional, both from an intangible and a revenue, you can really sell anything. Uh, and you, as long as you are willing to evolve and be coachable, you can, you can certainly do it and certainly lead to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, so during your time with the Pistons, the team ends up moving in from Auburn Hills and the palace to a new arena in downtown with the opening of little Caesars arena. And, we obviously spent a lot of time together during that time as, as with Team Bo. And you talk about work ethic and hustle. You and the team were consistently hosting at least two prospecting events, the preview center each week. So at first, how many total events did you have in that short amount of time? Yeah, so we had, uh, we had 94 events in nine months, roughly nine months. Um, 94. It was a, yeah, it was, a, it was a good run, man. We, um, you know... Alan Jabera, who's now on our staff here in Detroit, he and I talk about it often. And, and that, you know, that was some of the most fun I think we've ever had. I think 94 events sounds daunting after a 41 game NBA season, but you know, I think when things are just firing at a high level, you know, when you're, when you're um, hosting sales events and you're producing 50, 60, $70,000 on a Wednesday night um, and, you know, clients are excited, right? Like yep. I'm not even making this about rep generation, but you know, you're, you're hosting 50 appointments and clients are ecstatic and the sales team's ecstatic and there's a great buzz, like that's like game day for us. Um, and so we, we were able to, to create 94 special, you know, they weren't always easy, but they were special experiences for, for guests and for our sales team and, and, you know, for an organization as a whole to help us get into LCA. You know, I'm sure some of the listeners are thinking, holy cow, you know, 94 events and certainly a lot of hours very little free time. So why do you feel like that hard work and effort ultimately paid off and, and really in general always pays off? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it, it's impossible. One of, some of the best advice I ever got was it's impossible to ever be the smartest person in a room. Like I, I don't think I ever want to consider myself the smartest person in the room. Um, I think, you know, you've got to work hard. Like you've got to be able to say where we may have deficiencies in 
our strategy or where we may face uncertain circumstances or uncertain challenges, we've got to be able to work and have the work ethic to overcome those challenges, right? So the way I kind of looked at this was we had we had nine months roughly um, from the time we announced we were going to LCA to the, the first preseason game until the building opened, I should say. It was, it was around Thanksgiving time uh, the year prior to, and then that, you know, that next NBA season we were at LCA. And so, you know, are we going to fully bake a sales campaign that most teams have for three years uh, in the, in the turnaround time that we have? Probably not. Like, I think we consulted, you know, a lot of the folks with the NBA league office, including yourself on, on the move. Um, we talked to a lot of teams that have went through a similar move and, and the Red Wings are, are um, you know, one of our, our teams down here in Detroit. We talked to them a lot on their process, but again, they had, they had years more than we did in the process. So we knew we were going to have to work hard. I think any deficiencies that we, we lacked from a timing perspective, we were just going to work hard through them. Right. And I think there are some, you know, there's something too. if you can execute the same number of sales events, most teams are doing over the course of, of years and in nine months, um, you're going to see the results you want to see. And so that's, that's kind of where we, uh, we took the, the approach from. You know, and another part of that, you mentioned, you know, the Red Wings kind of knew Little Caesars, you guys relate to the game, but also you'd been playing in Auburn Hills, uh, you know, which is, anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes from downtown Detroit. And so it's really immersing yourself and your team back into the community, finding some of those new fan bases. So what were some key learnings from that time as well? Yeah, you hit it on the head, Travis. Immersing yourself in the community is one of the biggest things you can do as a, as a sales executive, whether you're going to a new market, you're in a current market. Um, you got to get out of the office. You got to meet people. And, and so the biggest approach that we took was um, – you know, was getting downtown. Our, our guys were, you know, we mentioned we had the, the two to three sales events a week, 94 sales events. But on top of that, we were going on 10 appointments out of the office every week, meeting with businesses and creating uh, unique touch points for them that, that we were going to create a conversation or create a, an open path, an open door for us to talk about our, uh, our story. Um, I look at some of the unique things we did when uh, we approached the Detroit market we we held several b2b events where we brought a pistons legend down to sign autographs and we had a kind of a champagne brunch if you will or, or a high-end brunch um to get in front of business leaders and basically you know you just need any opportunity to tell your story and that's an area right and so um there's some advantages to being new in a market um you're the new guy in town so everyone wants to know about you everyone wants to lean in and learn a little bit more about what's going on uh, we took advantage of that i think every meeting that i've ever had uh, when we when we started moving downtown, it was, um, you know, hey, you know, here our new story. Like we understand we're the new guy on the block. Let me tell you what's going on. Um, similarly, I go back. You know, I, I learned a lot of that from my days in Houston. Um, when I started selling, like I realized getting on the phone and just going through the, you know, my role here with the Astros is. Uh, I learned to add to my benefit statement. I'm brand new in town. I just moved here from Arizona, and before I knew it, I had clients who were inviting me over to family barbecues. And, you know, that would lead on a one-off, like, yeah. group sale to a scout. You know, all those things, like, the more you can put yourself out there in the community, the more you can, can get people to lean in and listen to your story, the better you're going to be. Um, that's, that was critical to our success when I was with the Pistons, and it's something we're trying to do again here with the Tigers. You know, and, and you think back, again, 94 events in those nine months – a lot of late nights, a lot of hours coming off a of basketball season. And you think about that now, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are like, wow, that's just, I would get burnt out. And so 
you know, your team, you and your team crushed it. You're in the top rankings of a lot of the league standings and many of the categories. And so, you know, I guess more from a leadership end, because one thing I was pleasantly surprised every time I would come to town is the people were still motivated, right? It wasn't like they were burnt out. So how did you and the leadership team look at that and say, okay, hey, we need to produce a lot of revenue. We probably need to work 40 hours a day. Um, but you still kept the staff motivated and driving to that one goal and one mentality. Yeah, I think, you know, culture is a big piece of that. Um, and culture is another word similar to, to work ethic that I think gets thrown around quite a bit uh, without a lot of context. And so, you know, I looked at the, the culture we had at that point. It starts with people. Um, we had great people on that team. I think if you look at some of the sellers on that team, a lot of them are in leadership roles now across the sports industry. A lot of them are in, in high-level business development roles or leadership positions outside of the sports industry. But no question, we had a lot of talent on that on that team, uh, young talent, but we had a, a lot of talent. And, um, you know, some of the culture that we had, you know, a lot of it was based on success and it was based on the people we had. I look at like, um, you know, again, drawing a parallel to football, but I look at Alabama football, right? And it's probably not, it's not easy to play football at Alabama. I don't think anyone would say Nick Saban's a coach that's easy to play for, or that's an easy environment to live up to expectations in the SEC. But, you know, I think when you can have success, you win your first game at Alabama, you start to realize like, all right, this is all worth it. Like this is, this is something I want to be a part of. I want to be a part of the success. And I think we all rallied around the fact that we were succeeding. We were blowing revenue numbers out of the water, like, you know, past historical revenue numbers were getting, we're getting, you know, washed aside every day. Uh, our sellers were having more personal success, I think, than they ever had on the, on the sales side. Um, that feeling when we left all those events or majority of those events where we just felt great. There was a buzz. There was a high in the, in the um, prospect area, right? Like we, we knew we were making, um, you know, we were having great experiences for our guests and we were doing big things on the business development side. I think all that stuff motivated us. I think it all, we all recognized we were pulling for this for a greater cause and uh, then our own success. We were doing big things as a team. Um, and we kind of had that Alabama football mentality. We're like, this is going to be challenging. We've got to rise up and the success is going to make it worth it. Well, Joe, it's certainly you guys had a ton of success and it was a lot of fun watching both, you know, kind of closely and from afar. So kudos to you and all your team for all those successes. And, you know, then ultimately, Joe, you and I finally got the chance to directly work together as, as you came down to the Miami Marlins. And what a great experience. We helped build a great team with a lot of great talent and had a good amount of success with, with certainly not much help on the team side. And so what do you feel like were some key learnings, you know, from the Miami market? that in that fan base that you can now apply to your time back in Detroit here with the Tigers? Yeah, I think, you know, first and foremost, I think Miami is an amazing market. Um, you know, I think uh, that's a city that's always going to be special to me. I think we, we did a lot of great things down there and it was amazing getting to know different people in the city, business owners are, you know, passionate fans down there. Um, it was a, you know, it was a tremendous experience. I think, you know, Miami just kind of fortified a lot of what you and I have talked about for years, though, Travis, where, um, you know, predictable process with with good people behind it are going to lead to predictable results. And I think our first year, you know, we cracked top 10 in Major League Baseball and new FSC. And, you know, I say that uh, humbly because, you know, we had a lot of work to go. We had a lot of room to grow. Like that wasn't something where I felt like we could rest. Like we were we were just getting things rolling. Um but, it, you know, I think there are some things in this industry that you, you can replicate from market to market. And it starts with good people. 
And then it starts with a, a sales process that, you know, if you can get face-to-face meetings, you can get face-to-face, you know, it's, we talk about sales, but it's also creating a fan base. Like we turned a lot of folks from, uh, we, we helped create a lot of true Marlins fans, passionate Marlins fans that were casual Marlins fans because of the, the experience they had in becoming a member and then the experience they had as a member, right? And that's the impact side of things that we can, we can have in the community. I think that was cool to see. Um, but, you know, a lot of things we did in Miami, I think were, we were just trying to implement best practices. We were trying to ingrain ourselves in the market. I, I can't think of how many, uh, how many, you know, meetings you and I went to, whether there's chamber meetings or different organizations that we, you know, we got to get to know different people around the city who opened doors for us. Um, you know, vividly remember our times at University of Miami uh, selling hard tickets in a suit when it was, you know, degrees and, and humid, right? Like, but those are the different things that we did to kind of put our organization out there and, and try to, to build connections in the, in the community. And I think it paid off. You know, and you've always been a, a certainly a big process person and which, which helps, but before you get to be successful and having a really good process, you have to have the right people. And that's what I think I've always loved about you is we're very similar in that focus on recruiting a level talent, consistent training and development. So why is that so important, you know, for you as a leader, regardless of the tenure of employees? Yeah. You know, I'm not going anywhere without people, man. Like this is the business begins and ends with the people on your team. And so, um, you know, I take that piece very seriously. I think, uh, it, it starts with making sure that you have people who have the right mindset, the right goals are motivated by the right things. And, um, you know, I think that that helps the process go. So if you have folks that are coachable and have a positive attitude and want to be better at this and want to grow their careers, they're going to want to be a part of the process. They're going to want to, you know, participate in a sales process that's going to lead to results and help advance their career. And so one thing kind of cascades into the next. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I can't say enough. Like it begins and ends with the folks on your team and making sure that, uh, that you know, we're able to, to move things forward. Absolutely. And, you know, Joe, two years ago, you have the opportunity to once again, move back home to the Detroit Tigers, the vice president of ticket sales and service. And so it seems like, you know, your career a little bit came to a full circle, but a lot of updates and people and process have occurred even since your time there over the last couple of years. And so how did you identify what was top priorities versus what could wait? Yeah. Um, it's a great question, Travis. You know, I think I uh, was excited to come back up here. I always looked at the Tigers from afar when I was with the Pistons. And, you know, the first thing that occurred to me was everybody in the city had an old old English D hat, T-shirt or tattoo. Like there's there's, uh, there's a lot of representation for this organization. And I remember coming to games on a Tuesday night at Comerica Park after I left the, the Palace. I look around and, you know, I see 37,000 people in the ballpark going crazy in 2013 when, when David Price and Max Scherzer and Verlander were here. And I was like, holy smokes, like this is a Tuesday in Detroit, right? Like it was a, it was a playoff atmosphere every night. And quite honestly, never thought I'd have an opportunity to work for this organization. Like it, it just, uh, it seemed like things were on cruise control. And um, I always knew the power of this brand and the power of this brand in this market. Um special, special organization. And so when I got here, I knew there was a, a ceiling, a really high ceiling for what this could become. Um, again, I think, you know, we, we had some open positions on our staff. So it was making sure that we, you know, continue to, to bring in the right people to help move, you know, move our business forward. And then it was putting in a process of selling face-to-face. Um, Dave Baldwin and, and Andrew Sidney were here before me, um, had already started a process of getting some alumni down here and hosting some face-to-face sales events. And, you know, we just kind of doubled down. 
um, from the time I arrived in November to, uh, you know, unfortunately the time when, when the season paused in March, um, you know, we were doing two to three prospect events a month and I'll never forget, you know, just had a massive smile on my face. The first event I went to, um, we had an event on a Thursday night, a member of the 84 world series team who, you know, um, was before I was born. So, you know, relates to a certain segment of our fan base, but, but maybe not everybody relates. Um, and I looked out the window and it was snowing. And the only thing I could go through my head was I was thinking like, no one's going to come to this event. Like, this is brutal. Um, and I look out the window again and I just start looking like there's car after car pulling into the parking lot. And I'm like, this is Detroit. Like, this is, this is where, you know, the ceilings here, the ceilings high here. Right. And, you know, I said about two words when I, when I kicked off the event and just said, guys, it's only, you know, whatever it was, 150 days to opening day or something along those lines. And just like the, the noise, the roar that came from the people sitting down, it's like, all right, like, this here is, we go. This is amazing. So, um, you know, those are things that you just recognize. You have a great fan base here. You have a passionate fan base. We just need, we need to re-engage them in meaningful ways with the right people and the right process. And, and, you know, things started to fall in place. You know, in this business, Joe, we talk a lot about being flexible, be willing to pivot, you know, some curveballs are thrown away and, you know, everybody in the sports industry and everybody really in the world had a curveball last year with the pandemic and you and the team had multiple different priorities, but you're now back into full gear. And so what were some important learnings during that time that will really help the team be better off moving forward? Yeah. So one of the key directives that we had once we realized, you know, this is going to be more than a week long uh, thing. I mean, I, I never forget, I gave our staff a book when we left the office in, in mid-March and you know, I said, Hey guys, like, you know, let's start reading two chapters a day. Um, you know, we'll probably be back by like chapter six, right? I thought this was going to be a three day. Uh, you know, we finished that book several more along the way. Yep. Um, but early in the pandemic, you know, one of the things that we agreed to the leadership team where we were going to come back a better trained and we're going to come back better trained and with a sharper skill set than when we left. Right. And so we invested heavily in training and wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we were going to get better every day. If we weren't, if we were putting a revenue number up on the sales board, uh, we we're going to invest in our team and make sure that we we're going to come back stronger. And, you know, there are a lot of different roadblocks and adversity over the last year and a half. Um, but I knew if we did what we needed to do, we could come back and hit the ground running. And, and it, you know, it, it truly paid off. We, um, you know, we were announced full capacity in June. And while the road to get there was certainly a, a turbulent one, um, it seems like the pandemic was years ago. Um, our staff's humming right now. The group sales business is booming. You know, we're seeing, uh, you know, we're, we're surpassing some, some things that we didn't think we'd see in the 21 calendar year. Um, you had 31,000 people at the ballpark the other night. Uh, and those are things that, you know, again, bring a smile to your face because you realize like some of the, the phone calls that maybe were difficult for our staff to make from home or some of the things we had to push through, it was all worth it because we're, we're back to where we wanted to be sooner than we thought we would. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to, to you and the rest of the team continuing to grow and build something special there in Detroit. And you know, Joe, you've had, had a great career thus far, and I feel like it's only getting started. As you look back, what's been your best memory to date? Um, There's a lot. It's tough to hone down on one. I mean, I think uh, the best memory to date is, is, you know, honestly this year just coming back to uh, – to have fans in the ballpark. I think yeah. April 1st here, uh, it's, it's seared in my brain. Uh, first game back with fans in over a year. 
Uh, Miguel Cabrera hit a home run in the snow in the first inning and just hearing the roar of fans again, seeing our staff kind of running around the ballpark, engaging with our members, doing the things that we, you know, we're here to do. Um, that's going to be special. It's going to be special for a long time. And, and you know, it's going to be tough to top. Well, Joe, this has been great. You've had such a great journey. and I know a big mentor to many. So to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Ready, man. Well, we kicked it off with fishing. So what is the most rewarding fish you've ever caught? So I was thinking about that um, the other day, and, and I've got a fishing bucket list. So I've got 250 fish that I want to catch before, uh, you know, I don't want to turn this dark. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so I, I caught a white surgeon in British Columbia. Uh, it was 10 feet long, but, um, you know, where my head's at, man, the next one's going to be the most rewarding the, one I ever catch. The right? next so one. That's, that's, I love it. What was the last bucket list item you've completed? Um, so I, I just purchased Notre Dame season tickets. Uh, it's been a goal of mine. I, I couldn't get in as a high school student. That wasn't an option. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I figured if I, if I can't get in, I might as well force my way on that campus somehow, but uh, I always grew up a huge Notre Dame fan and excited to go back to South Bend for a little bit this year. That's awesome. It'll be exciting. And lastly, you have your own late night talk show. Who do you invite as your first guest? Arnold Schwarzenegger, hands down. Um, not even close, man. That's he's he's the goat. <laughs> Be a fun, fun little talk show there. Well, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, you know, Travis. I think first and foremost, I would say um, you've got to recognize the people who support you along your journey. Again, I, you know, I feel incredibly blessed to have. Uh, a supportive family, uh, supported, you know, I've been supported by leaders along the way who want to invest in me. And it's important to make time, uh, life gets busy, right? But it's important to make time to, to say thank you and, and to, you know, just give back, even if you're uh, just selflessly, right? Like just, just do little things, even if you don't recognize for it. But, um, you know, I think that's, that's first and foremost. Um, you know, the second thing I'd say is be, be conscious of your brand. Um, and just understand that, you know, there's always going to be uh, a perception of you and you've got to be comfortable with that. I think it's important to be self-aware and important to recognize how your brand's perceived. Um, you know, you don't have to fit a cookie cutter mold, right? Like th just, just, just own it. And, uh, you know, I think that's something the older I've got, the more comfortable I've got in, in that, uh, with that dynamic. I think the last thing I would say, um, is attitude's everything, man. I think, you know, if you, it all stems from attitude. I think work ethic stems from attitude. If you believe you're going to go have a great day today, you're going to be motivated to work hard. If you believe you're going to have success, if you believe you're going to do big things, you're going to do them. And so, you know, going back to fishing again, like, I don't think I've ever got on the boat and been like, oh, I'm probably not going to catch anything today. Right. Like that's what motivates me is like, I'm going to go catch a freaking record today. Like let's, <laughs> let's go. Right. So I think in everything you do, you know, there's, there's no excuse to start with a, pot or a poor attitude. There, yep. You have every reason to come in with a, an optimistic approach and, and get after it. So that'd be it, man. What a great way to end it. You know, talking about the value of people, which we talk a lot about on this pop podcast and recognize the people you're going to be working for alongside and with certainly self-aware of brand brand awareness is key. And, and I love it. The attitude, you've got to have the right mentality, the internal motivation, just go and do it. So Joe, thank you so much. You've had a great career. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate your time, expertise, and certainly our friendship. No, same here, Travis. Thanks for having me on and uh, appreciate you more than you know, brother. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. 
We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.